Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. I was joking with Jason the other day, because we're in the Beatitudes right now, and uh, going through kingdom culture, right? And, you know, Jason gets to talk about being blessed and being salt and being light. And so um, why do I choose these passages? <laughs> um, but I have, I believe God gave me a good word for today about these passages and what he wants to communicate to his body today in this season. Because there's about a hundred sermons you could pull from chapters five, six, and seven, um, I, I think we could just, you know, we could probably spend the rest of our days in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but we're not going to, don't worry. Uh, this, this sermon series will come to a close. Um, <laughs> but I, I chose this passage because I felt like the Lord had put a word on my heart for it. And so we're going to look at it today. I'm going to read the, the passage first, and I'm not going to go all the way through the part that I'm going to be talking about today, but I am going to read a portion of it. And I just want to prepare you. Jesus uses some hyperboles here. He's not actually saying to what's happening here and what Jesus is saying, and then we'll, we'll dive in and talk about it together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now I know why I chose this passage. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell and fire." So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And that's from Matthew 17 through 30. Jesus goes on to talk about divorce and oaths and re uh, retaliation and love for our enemies. And his ethical teaching, so what he was teaching right here, was actually even more extreme than the most religious people of the day, than the Pharisees. Like, he took what, what they said in the law, and he like, he's like, actually, no, I, I'm going to make it even harder. <laughs> I mean, if you're even angry with your brother... Uh, you, you're you're uh, liable. I am in deep trouble. 
Um, but Jesus, he, he, what he's saying is he's not teaching them to merely be good on the outside. So when he says, do not murder, is the original law, because you'll be liable to judgment, you know, all of that had to do with our judgment here on earth. You know, don't murder because you'll be liable to judgment here on earth. Someone else will probably take your life or you'll be in jail. But don't be angry actually goes a bit deeper than what we can see externally. It goes to the heart. And so Jesus isn't saying don't murder so that you don't get in trouble here on earth. He's saying don't be angry because I want your heart. And so he's actually after our heart. He, he actually wants his people to be more righteous than the Pharisees. He's actually saying, he says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better that they were righteous in their own eyes. They, didn't, they weren't humble. They, they thought, I've done all these religious things, all these right things, so that makes me righteous because of my works, because I'm so good externally. But he actually, later, he says, you blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean. And that's from Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. He actually is saying, you know what? Your external works don't clean you. Your external works don't actually make you pure. It's actually inside your heart. And then it works its way out. And what's beautiful about this passage is Jesus isn't telling us to make our own hearts clean. You know, he didn't say, make your own heart be pure, make your own heart be uh, clean as snow. He actually offers us a different way, a different method, important part of the gospel. They're a super important part of what God is doing on the earth. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it spring flows the springs of life. And Jeremiah 17, 10 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Anybody feel that about their heart? I'm leading you guys to a place on purpose, okay? I know we all feel a little desperate right now, like, hey, give me the gospel, hurry up. (laughs) Um, You know, our hearts are desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then the Lord says this in Jeremiah. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And, you know, our hearts, they can fool us. They are deceitful. They are not, they are not always on track with the Lord. Our hearts can be blinded. Our hearts can be in love with idols. Scripture, and it's about uh, David getting anointed king. And Saul had just lost the kingdom, basically. The Lord had said, I will, I will pull the kingdom away from him and I will give it to someone who, ha- who desires my own heart. And so Samuel, the prophet, is at Jesse's house. Jesse was supposed to, you know, have eight sons. And Samuel arrives there and there's only seven And he's going down the line and the Lord's like, no, not this one. And as he is passing one of the sons, the Lord says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so 
what we have to recognize is oftentimes when we're reading these scriptures, we're looking at it as what we do externally. But what Jesus was actually talking about is what's happening internally inside of us. You know, when we talk about, you know, adultery and lust, it's like adultery is actually outside of you. It's something that would be visible to other people. If you have lust in your heart, no one can see it. So he's actually saying, I don't want you to be merely clean for the people who see you and say, oh, they're such a good Christian. I want you to be clean all the way inside, everything. And so our first note here is that kingdom culture recognizes that we have a heart problem. You know, we can't build a kingdom culture here in one life unless we first recognize that we all have a heart problem. We all have a heart problem, myself included. We have a heart issue. You know, we lust, we want to hate, we want to be offended, or we want to offend someone else. (laughs) Um, Anybody? No, Uh, don't raise your hand. We want to break our promises. You know, if it doesn't work out for you, and it's like you made a promise to someone, and now holding up that end of the bargain is a real tough cookie, I mean, anybody want to get out of it? No, just me. Um, <laughs> we want to hate those who are persecuting us. We want to. We don't want to turn the other cheek. And when they turn the other cheek, it's actually turning to pray for them. And so, you know, Jesus goes on in that passage and he says, pray for those who persecute you. So when somebody is razzing you and coming after you and just, man, what would happen if our kingdom culture, our hearts were so soft, we didn't turn in bitterness, we started praying. We were just like, I'm going to get on my knees. My heart is soft with Jesus. It doesn't matter what that person says to me. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to intercede for them. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I think it's good. We got to pray. You know, worldly culture, it teaches us to do it our way. It's all about me. It's about myself. It's about protecting myself, self-protection, self-preservation. You know, do, look at what you want, do what you want, be who you want. And our kingdom culture actually shifts away from that as we recognize that we have a heart problem and says, I want myself into a place of doing it right. It's actually wrapped up in point number two. Kingdom culture allows... Jesus to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Anybody else here want a responsive heart? A tender, responsive heart? When Jesus says, hey, you know what, I I see a little bitterness here. You know what, I see a little edge here. Hey, you know what, you're you're really looking at some things you shouldn't be looking at. Where our hearts go, oh, you're right. And it's not a religious, like, shaming thing. It's a, you're right, Lord, and I want to repent. Give me a responsive. Sorry, I'm going to go back just a little bit. As I was praying about this message, I was like, Lord, what, what is your heart in this message? What is it that you want your people to get out of it? And I just heard, read Romans 6. So I read Romans 6. And, you know, I think it's really hard as, as 
pastors to stand up and preach Matthew 5, especially, you know, all of this stuff. But we're actually called to preach a gospel where grace saves you. You're not saved by your works. You're saved when you're in sin. You're saved right where you are. But we're called to then go on a sanctifying journey with the Lord. We're called to take steps with him where we begin to let him renew our heart, our mind, our will, our emotions. We give him access to everything because he's worthy of it. He made us, he knows us best and he wants us to go on that journey with him. And so we're actually called to be a holy priesthood, a set apart priesthood, not just people who made a decision and then sit in the peace way because it's right, it's holy, it's good because you are good and you are holy and you're calling me to it. And it doesn't mean we suddenly are perfect. It's actually just, it's a process that we go on. So, Romans addresses this issue. You know, Paul is writing to the Romans and they've got all kinds of cultural issues going on right now uh, in that culture at that time. And he writes to them and he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We get to walk in newness of life. We are not, we no longer have to have stony hearts. We can come daily and ask for that tender, responsive heart. And you know what? It's not a willing your heart to be tender and responsive. It's an asking. Jesus, make me tender. Make me responsive. I want to be responsive to you. I want to be tender to you and your word. I want to hear your word and I want to do it. I don't want to be in rebellion anymore, trying to do it my own way, trying to be religious and just look good on the outside. I want to be good all the way inside to my heart, obedient from the heart, not obedient just to be obedient. I want to be obedient from a love that you've put inside of me. I want to be obedient from that place. So, you know, that's a little different than the Pharisees because they wanted to be obedient to look impressive. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Still learning how to hold a mic. Um, (laughs) We want to be obedient all the way from our heart. And that place where we can have a responsive and tenderness towards him. So one of the things that we can do is just ask. That's one of the first things we do. If you want a practical thing to take away from here is to ask Jesus for that. And he have a bit of stubbornness in me. And I continually ask the Lord, soften that space. Make it soft. Make it tender. Make it willing to surrender and to submit and to come under your authority, Lord. Because I don't want to be under my own authority. I want to be under yours. And uh, what I was saying about the Pharisees is this. The Pharisees were outwardly looking great. And, you know, we can all walk around here and put on a smile and good clothes. But you know what? If inside we're destroying ourselves, we have, we have something we need to address. And it's not in shame. It's actually in grace. 
That's the beauty of it. If you're here and you recognize that you've got some stones that need to be chucked across the lawn, some eyes that need to be gouged out or some hands chopped off, you know what? Right now is a good time to come forward for prayer. Go to your small group leader. Come to Jason and I. Um, find someone that you know how to get off. If you are addicted to something that you don't want to be addicted to because you know it's distracting you from the God that we serve, you know what? Come and ask Ask Jesus and ask someone here, I want to change. I want my heart to change. I want it to be, I want it to be focused on the things of God and not on the things of myself. I want to change. You know what? We are here as a body to grow together, to encourage one another, to partner together, to build together for the future because God is wanting to do a new thing here. And as we do that, we've got to get out all the old stuff that's holding us down. So kingdom culture serves Jesus only. Kingdom culture serves Jesus only. It's not a Jesus and all the other things. It's a Jesus only culture. And so what we see is that there can be no idols. And I think we can see that when Jesus goes through and talks about all these different areas of nothing can be left uh, to, that's not touched by him. We don't serve ourselves or our own wants and needs. And Jesus uses some pretty extreme examples. And I referenced this earlier and we kind of read some of them. You know, anybody else feel like they're a little extreme? <laughs> Cut out your eyeball. Um, I still just, every time I'm like, oh. Um, a commentary that I was reading said, Heedless of whatever cost to feelings the act may involve, Jesus wants us to strike the root of the unholy disposition and cut off all occasions that stimulate it. So whatever is causing you to look the other way, to look towards your idol, whatever that is, he wants us to cut it off at the root, which is all the way down to our heart, which only can happen in a heart transformation from Jesus himself. He's not asking to get the sin. They are not intended literally, they are hyperbole. They are deliberate exaggerations to make a point. Jesus is saying that people should be vigilant in avoiding sin and making every effort to remain pure and close to him. He wants people to be close. And you know what happens when we begin to allow a little sin here, a little sin there, a little thing there? our hearts begin to separate because Jesus can't be near sin. So yes, he paid for it. And yes, there is grace, but we can't, we can't keep going over here and hoping that everything will be okay. We've got to We've got to let him do the hard work in our hearts. We have to allow him to come and purify and clean and, and have him put his hand on something and say, hey, this is an area I want to work on today. And not be ashamed, but be willing, tender, responsive. He's not asking for us to bury our heads. He's actually asking for us to lift our eyes to him and say, I trust that you can take care of this. I trust that you can work this out of my heart. You know what? I have unforgiveness and I am really, really angry at that person. And every time I see them, I just want to say, you fool, because they hurt me so bad. But Jesus, I'm tender before you. 
and I trust that you can make my heart right. I trust that you can draw me close. I trust that you can do a good work in me. And so I want to be tender and responsive, surrendered to your will. Romans 6, 12 says this, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, this is the big instead, right? We've got to, (laughs) Uh, instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You are no long, You no longer live under the requirements of the law. Sin, sin has no authority over your life. And so before you were saved, before you asked Jesus to save you, sin was your actual master. It had rulership over you and authority. And you know what? When you asked Jesus and declared, I believe in you as the Lord and Savior of my life, the power of sin, that thing broke off and you, it no longer has power over you. And so as long as you continue to come to Jesus, as long as you say, Jesus, I come to you, I come to you. You know what? That sin begins to break off bit by bit. And it doesn't mean that it's all gone in one day and we no longer sin. I'm not standing up here saying, yay, I'm perfect. I'm saying it's a process and he begins to break these things off. And as we surrender each thing to him, sin doesn't have rulership over me. It doesn't have rulership over you. We can walk in the freedom of grace and God. It's a call to put off the old self wrought with sin and put on the new self filled by the spirit. So we want to be filled by the Holy Spirit, not filled with sin, not filled with the old things that tore us down, but we want to be filled by the spirit and made new, the renewing of our mind and hearts. We want to be obedient from the heart. And that's what our next point is. Kingdom culture is obedient from the heart. Kingdom culture is obedient from the heart. It's not a show. We don't show up here to look good. We show up here to be real, authentic, and honest. Today, I'm not saying this about myself, but it's like you walk in here and say, today I'm really struggling with this and I need it broken off. You know what? We're here to pray with you and believe that God can do something in your life to take care of that. Because he isn't, he doesn't have to wait for, uh, you know, two years down the road. He can do it in an instant. He can break it off in a moment. Now, sometimes he asks us to walk it out, to be faithful, to make the daily decisions. And sometimes I've heard of of drug addict. There's a guy that mentored me when I was much younger, him and his wife. They were kind of my spiritual parents when I first got saved. And uh, his story was very radical. He was a drug addict and he was on the verge of taking his own life. And he was very, very off the hinges in drugs at the moment. And he had the gun to his head and in a moment, He was sober and he never, ever touched a drug again. Now, do all drug addicts go through that? No, some of them have to walk it out the hard way and it is a rigorous, tiring path. But let's be a people who come and put our arms underneath. We're gonna war against it. 
And that requires all of us together warring against these things so that we can walk together in faith for the future. You know, uh, my key passage for where I got the points today came from Romans. And Romans 6, 15 through 17 says this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." Our kingdom culture, we're, a slave, we're slaves to righteousness. We're slaves to right living. We're slaves to the Lord God Almighty. And you know what? He doesn't actually, he says, I no longer call you servant. I call you friend. So we're on this process, right? We, we are not slaves to sin. We are friends with Jesus. We're friends with the most high. And he's the one that comes and cleanses our hearts and begins to do the hard work. Now, the biggest thing here is we have to be willing to do the hard work. Sometimes we become a little bit like the Pharisees. I mean, if I'm being honest, especially if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know, we begin to think, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I don't have a lot of heart issues. I'm pretty solid, actually. Yeah, I'm doing really good. But you know what? There's always another layer. There's always more for more room for growth. There's always more that God wants to do. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. And when we begin to think, I've got it pretty good. I'm doing good here. Look at me responding to everybody, right? I'm not saying you fool anymore. <laughs> um, but the Lord begins to say, hey, but actually over here, when this person at work kind of begins to talk to you not so nice, you get real irritated. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I do. I do. And we have a tender, sensitive heart. Sometimes to heaven, it's actually the opposite. You're already going to heaven. This is a process to draw near to God. It's a call to go close to him. It's a call to be with him in every moment. And it's a call to say, I want my heart close to your heart, so I want to surrender it. And so we don't want to be a people who say, I do all these things. It's actually God does all these things in me. So we've got to be surrendered. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's our heart cry every day. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're taking notes, to write that psalm down because that's a psalm you can pray Every day, search me, Lord, and know my heart. Test me and see if there's any anxious way in me. It's our sanctification process to be on that journey with him, that we would be a people in our kingdom culture here at One Life who are on a journey with God, getting rid of the stony heart and putting in the tender heart. Okay? And I want to read a last part. It's, a, it's from the story of Saul. 
And uh, I think it has a lot to offer us. It's a, it's a story that is really sad, actually. So Saul was king. And he was the first king of Israel. The people, he actually was hiding in the baggage. And he was like, I'm not a king. <laughs> you don't get to choose me. And he was hiding back there. And Samuel, the prophet, was like anointing him king. And he was like, ah. But you know what? He wasn't in it with his heart. He didn't believe God could make him an anointed king. He was highly insecure. He was all over the map with his emotion. He had to good friends, and you can go and defeat them. And the Amalekites, uh, they did. They, they totally captured them. But the thing that God had said through the prophet Samuel was, annihilate them. Don't leave one thing. So what does Saul do? The people, Saul says, the people wanted him to keep some of the, the spoils. And Saul chose not to kill the king, Agag. And so Samuel comes and he's like, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? <laughs> Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen that the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as an iniquity and idolatry. And he goes on to tell him that he's no longer going to be king. But I think out of that, what we can look at, Saul feared the people. He wanted to look like he was doing the right thing. He was going to burn a whole, make a whole scene. We're going to burn all the fatted calves and lambs and rams and all the things. And I'm going to look really good to the people. I'm going to make a religious scene. And you know what? God wasn't pleased with that. He wanted Saul to just obey and get all of it annihilated. Let's be faithful to annihilate everything that comes against Jesus in our hearts. Let's be faithful as a people to allow him to be the victor in those spaces because he holds victory for us and we can be victorious in our hearts. So I know this is a heavier word. I feel like every time it's a heavy word, but here we are. And I, I want to invite you to respond because I, I don't think this is just reserved for people who have, you know, what we would call in the religious world, big sin issues. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about every detail and we all have a place to respond here. And so as we conclude, I want to just give us a minute to pray that prayer. God, search me and know me. Test me and see, and then lead me, lead me in paths of righteousness for your glory, for your name's sake. Not so that I look good to the people, but so that you are glorified and magnified in my surrender. So everybody can just close their eyes for a minute and you can just kind of be with the Lord for a moment and let him speak to you. And then we're going to go into singing our song together, our song of worship. Jesus. 
Jesus, I ask that you would speak to us, search us as a church, and know us. See if there's anything in us that isn't of you. Come on, how many feel that that word spoke to them? So much to take away. Um, can, Lane, can you do me a favor and put the Psalm 139 back up? Um, real quick, just that. that back. Thank you, sir. Um, do this, do this for me. I think that this would be a really good thing. I think what Ellie said about praying this and actually believing this into our hearts is, is powerful. And what I would encourage you to do is right now while it's up there, either take a picture or write it down in your notes or, or whatever it is so that you can have this to start every day with. I think that it's a, it's a powerful thing to begin every day to say, God, today I want you to search me. Today I want you to know me and to test me. It's a powerful way for us to be able to begin the day. So take a picture, write that down, have that to be able to take into your week. And I think you're going to see that your heart even transforms transform this new heart, this, this new heart that God wants to give us. I think that's an incredible promise is the fact that he's going to take away our old stony heart and give us a new one. Like it's the best heart transplant in the entire world. It's amazing. And if you're here and, and maybe you're listening in the room or online and you would say that, that in your life, you have been just navigating life on your own. And, and because of that, maybe you've really sensed a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of anger. Maybe there's even been this, this nasty word called rebellion. But there's been this like idea of living your own life, your own way. And you've found that that leaves you really empty. I want to give you the opportunity today to make a decision and to pray a prayer that invites Jesus to come and transform your heart. Because he has a, it's a gift for you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is each I wouldn't be controlled by sin and that I wouldn't be, you know, bound by that and I wouldn't be a slave to sin. Wow, that, that sounds really good. That, that I wouldn't do the things that I don't want to do. And I would do the things that I don't want to do. That, that there would be a shift to, to not doing the things that we do so many times in our own sinful way, but turn to the things that God has for us to be able to do. And so if you're in this place or online, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer. Now, we're going to all pray this prayer together. And as we do, I want you to pray this with faith. If you really want to receive that gift from Jesus into your life today of a new heart, of a new life, of the salvation of your soul, I want you to believe it in your heart. This is what the Bible says, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's why we pray, because it begins the process, like Ellie was saying, of the sanctified life of living with Christ. But let's do this. Let's all close our eyes. And I'm going to lead us in this prayer. We're all going to say it together. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision for Christ today. Repeat this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm here today, and I recognize that I have been a slave to sin, that my heart is hard, and I'm asking you today to come forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, to purify me, and to give me a new heart. I confess that you are Lord 
of my life. And I give you control of every part. I thank you for the new life. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. And I thank you for a relationship with you that starts right now. And everybody said, come on, if you pray that prayer today, for the first time, I want to tell you something that you are changed in a moment. Yes, your life, you're going to have to live it out in the Holy Spirit and God's going to do a work in you. But I'm going to tell you right now, it is different. God has done that transformation in your heart. And it's a beautiful thing. Come on, can we put our hands together? For those that asked Jesus into their heart today for the first time, we're so thankful.